0: Welcome to the weekend must watch on intercut the weekly show going through the movies TV and entertainment that people just can't cut away from this weekend movies we we have a slew of stuff you know we've got the prequel to the Hunger Games that ended up becoming one of the biggest franchises out there we got a prequel to the Disney Cinematic Universe that I was not expecting to have Uh, Bradley Cooper missing a legend that he never met and of course we're hitting it early Thanksgiving Day, carving out all of the best that's out there. As always, I'm your co-host, Arturo Surita, and joining me with the odds ever in his favor, it's Zachary Shevich!
1: Thank you. Thank you. You Can meet me out by the hanging tree. What's going on Arthur? Oh, Are you, you doing, uh, Ooh,
0: you're doing the canvas bit.
1: <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the the dress on fire or anything uh-huh. like that, but I can I can uh, showboat a little bit for I the camera. I don't know. <laughs> were you uh, were you happy to return to the districts and get back into the world? Is it is it Penm? Is that what their world is called?
0: You know, I've been in my 100 years, Lord. It is derived from the, the Roman uh, uh, word where they were like falling apart and only giving their little towns bread. So it is. Uh, uh, what's your name in the movie? Um, Gaul's character. I'm a Viola Davis is actually the oh, only yeah. character who says it correct. I think in the entire franchise. <laughs> it's uh, Panem. Panem. But to say Pan Am like the flight changes the meaning. To be the Roman giving the, the people just bread to survive, to Pan Am, which is a, a version of an all-American society, since Pan Am is America after it shrunk down because of global warming and <laughs> nuclear stuff. So Pan Am, Pan Am, however way you say it, I think is appropriate. But that's what I've learned in my super deep dive for the Hunger Games stuff that I've been doing for some videos. But, Zach, uh, were, were you a big Hunger Games fan going into this? Uh, it I was think, a big franchise for our whole YouTube careers.
1: Yeah, I think I sort of, like, missed the YA wave on on Hunger Games. It was, like, one of those things really? that started to become a thing after I stopped like, caring as much about that. But, like, the first movie is pretty strong. And, and I... And I I like a lot about it, Um, and obviously, like it was like our intro, a lot of people's introduction to Jennifer Lawrence, who became like one of our classic stars. But you know, I think it's also when you come in. Uh, with knowing Battle Royale and some of the other films that have been uh, – and, and media that's been influenced by all that, Hunger Games doesn't necessarily hit with the same level of intensity as it does for, for maybe people who – for whom that's their first entry into a, a story like that. But yeah. I think you you had a, a pretty, like, more uh, – a closer involvement with the Hunger Games films because you were also doing videos for ATZ in back then. the
0: films. Oh yeah! Uh, I was trying to pull the poster. It is completely taped to the wall. The one of the the first posters I got Alita is the original Hunger Games, like the full fledged out thing that they were selling. Uh, She was into it. She had read the books. Everything. It was around the time when we first started dating. It was one of the first big movies we went to go see uh, together. Back when they were, do you remember uh, midnight screenings up till twelve o'clock in the morning? That's how long we've been doing this. Yeah, I, I remember when the when the series came out, Catching Fire, I thought was a, a fantastic take on the YA genre. And I, I also think it's the best of the, the, the series. I also think it's one of the best YA movies out there. I think it's fantastic. The Mockingjays are pretty decent. I, I, I've enjoyed them a little bit more in, on my rewatches because they're really loaded with actors. This is a series that's got Academy Award winners. I think the first uh, four touted seven. Academy Award nominees.
1: The franchise has never slouched on the talent that they put in front of the camera. It's That's one it's thing pretty for sure. good. So yeah,
0: uh, yeah. This new one,
1: even I, when it comes down to like Amanda Stenberg, right, In her early uh, role right? for her. Yeah, for,
0: with Rue. Yeah, now she's yeah. like a full on producer. Uh, yeah. So no, I, I think it's a it's a fascinating series, and I think out of all the YA stuff that have like died down, there's a reason this one has has stood out uh, and had the test of time. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about that. A bunch of the other movies, I I did have some new stuff. I know you're going to mention it later hey. on, but not only do I have Good Burger over New here, swag. I also have, we went to go see Maestro. I know you went to go see it for a specific showing that you had as well, and I know that you did not get to, hold on, let me see if I, I don't know if I have it in here or elsewhere. It's just got to be in here. So they gave this, like, booklet that came with it. Ooh. Because your boy's not supposed to be in there because I think it's for people who actually do uh, Academy Voting. But we vote with our hearts for y'all. The inner right. cuties. But they gave this thing. I thought it was supposed to be like a calendar, right? And it ended up being um, these incredible portraits huh. of him Bradley. in the front. And then when you flip it, it's the original Bernstein.
1: Oh, like reference images. So that's that's So it's
0: him. And then the flip side is the original Bernstein.
1: That's pretty dope. Some
0: of these over here, especially towards the end, are some insane-looking pictures. Like that would be him. Mm-hmm. That's Bernstein. Wow. Like yeah, so you get to see the likeness stuff.
1: between how Bradley's uh, portrayal of it and the original original images
0: easily so there, yeah. there's just some impeccable stuff and I mean seeing the movie in theaters that went out I know it's gonna be a Netflix oh my gosh the scene Zach this oh. scene is insane yeah what, a, and then, what like, a scene going back to see some of the moments in it we'll have to cut this out for the maestro <laughs> bit as well but um, again I went in there turns out somebody left an extra bag Zach so with an extra bag you know your boy always got you bro you know your boy always got you I'm gonna end up with like the biggest take care package for you <laughs> I'm trying to get yeah, that I don't ruin yours but there you go there was another I one there a... so you can have your old thing
1: I gotta bring an empty suitcase to Sundance with me just to bring home all the swag you've been collecting from me
0: honestly because at that point yeah. I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta get rid of this bro and I'm not mailing <laughs> it to you because there's too much um, but yeah. the last thing I'd point out is like for the tote bag because we collect so much stuff unreal quote bro a work of art does not answer questions it provokes them and it is essential. And its essential meaning is in the tension between the contradictory answers. Every movie we've been watching, I literally like. I'm just gonna have this on me, and be like, you know, when they say like, listen right? to the board. It's this. Yeah. It's this. It's this.
1: Yeah. What ah. a wonderful mantra with which to Beautiful. approach any kind Beautiful. of art, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's so so much artfulness to that movie. I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it more uh, with you. I don't have that much swag to show no. off. I did get a um, next goal wins. Soccer ball squeeze toy, which, I mean, I don't love the movie, but I'm going to squeeze this. It's a nice addition to my desk.
0: Every every time Zach thinks of the film.
1: Yeah, every time that I have to think of Taika Waititi's comedy, I'll just squeeze the stretch ball. Oh,
0: dear. You heard what that man (laughs) said, right?
1: <laughs> uh, did he compared himself to the people who wrote the Bible? Yeah, definitely heard that. Uh, th- that's a whole other discussion that we could have because I've seen on the one hand, you have Taika Waititi going on his press tour for Next Goal Wins, excusing all of the historical in- inaccuracies in his movie and all the... Uh, things that they've rewritten in order to sort of expand different elements of that story on the other hand you have Ridley Scott on his like fuck all the haters Napoleon press tour but who's he's like I don't <laughs> I don't care if he uh, fired a rocket at, or a cannon at the pyramids it's cinematic god damn it
0: yeah so and you, you think the different
1: you think the difference—oh, yeah, dry, Driver pushing back on uh, that one question. But what, what do you think is the difference that Ridley Scott's earned
0: the right to be a bit crotchety and rude? Yeah, 100%. He's already been on the wayside. You know, the, the other thing in his uh, rollout is that if he ever gets the Oscar, he'll say it's about damn time. <laughs> this this guy's got the Oscar and he's very young is still very young so I think that's yeah. also the perception that people have you're way too cocky when this man hasn't even been honored for like writing way better scripts so yeah they're, they're kind of giving him more leeway there I, I, I see that I get that
1: Yeah. I think it's also that, like, with the elements of Next Goal Wins, these are – it's fairly recent history. You know, it's basically 10-year-old history at this point. And just about everybody involved, as far as I know, is not only, like, living, but, like, might still be involved in the sport and stuff. So it's – and it's also, like, not a well-known story, right? So if you – tell the story of next goal wins one way, that's probably going to be the version of it that gets cemented in people's mind. Whereas Napoleon, there's already hundreds of different tellings of the Napoleonic story out there. And this is just the Ridley Scott version of it.
0: Exactly. Especially when your American Samoa take is about how American Samoa gets used a lot. (laughs) <laughs> great take um, great. yeah uh, again uh, I didn't think it was the worst movie I've just been very disappointed with the man not giving it his all you could just feel that he doesn't give his all but this is not a Taika TT podcast no, this it's is not. the Intercut podcast where we're here to talk about the newest movies starting off if we may with the Hunger Games prequel we had four movies that came out in the early 2010s right 2010s 20 knots would be the 2000s if I'm not mistaken yeah. but that is when the books came out uh My fiance read all the books. We have seen all the movies together. Did she read uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes as well? Yeah, right before the movie. So she knew everything that was happening. She was just spoiling the movie, right? You know, (laughs) like I didn't wait for the movie. (laughs) She's telling me everything that's happening. Um, But it's interesting because that's a book that came out in 2020. So it's like well past all of the other books. And, you know, there's an interesting take about... Should they have made this into a miniseries with how big it is? Uh, yeah. Are there going to be more installments? But it's weird because The Hunger Games is making fun of the idea of putting so much stuff out there. This media where kids are destroying themselves in order to be, in order to make the most money on an annual basis. So making too many of these would be contradictory to the story that it's telling. But I think there's a reason that they needed to make this one. It's the story of Corey, uh Coriolanus, because I kept saying Mm -hmm. uh, Cornelius for the longest time. Coriolanus, (laughs) no, as you can see right there, uh, before he becomes the president, 64 years before the start of the Hunger Games that we know with Katniss Everdeen, he was Mm -hmm. actually just, you know, a little poor boy who was going to the university until they switched things up on him right when he was about to get a scholarship. And it turns out that he now needs to be a mentor, something that we know from the old present-future Hunger Games, that they uh, need to kind of be with the tributes in order to help them by sending in drones and supplies, sponsorships, you know, your regular YouTube stuff that you have to deal with on a daily basis. Right. And... This is like,
1: he's the the Woody Harrelson to exactly. Jennifer Lawrence's Katniss, right? Like the, the one guiding Rachel Zegler through the games, hoping to... Uh, help her win or or survive them at the very least. Maybe
0: even fall in love. But in that, something along the way radicalizes him and he becomes the uh, dictator. I've been saying, it's, you know, your average story of your heartthrob to dictator pipeline that you have here.
1: Yeah, I've been calling it Young Hot Hitler. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, What did you think of this movie, uh, having seen it in theaters, and do you recommend it? Uh, You know, I think it's an, an interesting and ambitious
1: movie, albeit not entirely successful one. I think there's a lot that that merits recommend it, recommending about it but ultimately I think there's just some elements of it that dragged it down a bit for me. And you mentioned the the length of it, right? Because they're yeah. adapting a pretty lengthy book into a decently lengthy movie. But even at two and a half hours, it still feels like they're kind of like just skirting the surface of a lot of things and moving the plot along for, for convenience sake rather than uh, letting everything, you know, marinate and sit like it does feel like they could have probably made this into at least two movies uh, if they if they yeah. so chose
0: um, and and does... failed though I think that was a big reason to not do that but right, a miniseries like, yeah Damn, or a miniseries series or
1: something like that there's True. a lot in the book Exactly. And the the problem is it ends up falling into similar territory that I think a lot of like the Harry Potter movies fell into, right? Where there's interesting stuff there and there's moments that are are obviously iconic. But if you are a person who was like familiar with the books, you know about all the stuff that's missing and you kind of feel like you're getting the abridged version. And I do Mm -hmm. feel like this feels a bit too much like the abridged version of the story of the beginning of, of The Hunger Games. Then it feels, you know, like a new entry point into the the world, or uh, I don't know. Uh, so there's elements of it that lay, uh, that I liked less. I think parts of the plot are clunky, um, but it's also like pretty. Uh, it's a pretty immersive and interesting world. You know, they they sketch yeah. out a pretty like full idea of this dystopia, and they have all these different characters uh, that you know, occupy different roles in the world. And I don't know. I, I liked all those elements of it. I just wish I, I wish it felt a little bit more fully realized, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can see right here in the chat, you were mentioning the idea of it not being realized for its characters but when it comes to having to see the other movies as they're mentioning in the chat i don't think you need to see anything else this is a movie where you'll understand everything going in because it's supposed to be a prequel there are a couple of nods to the future some are pretty goofy some of them don't really build up to anything but it actually helps you watching this movie to understand why his character is the way he is in the future but like Zach said that third act especially needed to be fleshed out more. Like, this yeah. man turns on a dime, and I think that's where it could have been better. I see Chase saying it over here. I call him the same thing. This man turns into Snow Shady at the end, but you have no <laughs> reason. Like, yeah, he was raising the trailer park, but, like, at a, at a certain point, you needed a little bit more for when he falls on that rabbit hole. And I, yeah. I felt that's the part that they rushed the most.
1: Yeah, it, and it's just those moments where you need to believe a character has been on an emotional arc that they've they've changed or they've developed that they, they don't really get right. You know, he's got this friend in the film. I forget the actor's name. He's Rachel Zegler's real-life boyfriend. Josh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he there's a couple scenes in a row towards the end of the film where in one scene, he's very hopeful about his new new circumstances. In the scene immediately after that, he's very frustrated by his new circumstances. In the scene immediately after that, he doesn't really care about his new circumstances. And, (laughs) And it just sort of like, Waffles back and forward in a way that doesn't really allow uh, allow it to be believable, right? There, the characters are changing or suddenly taking a new perspective, not because it feels like they've been uh, led to that point, but because it's what's needed to move the plot forward. Um, yeah. You know, and and so again, fair, like particularly, <laughs> sure, but like <laughs> you can say the same thing about uh, the Coriolanus character, right? And that, like, yeah. in some scenes, he's like. Uh, charitable and and romantic and optimistic and then suddenly he's like cynical and self-serving and it, it kind of just goes back and forth between whether or not he uh, is like working in his own self-interest or trying to actually be a good person
0: yeah it's a big nature versus nurture story um, but they don't get too deep into it with backstories that a book would be able to because uh, y- what do you know about his father after seeing the movie once
1: That he was important, I guess. Right?
0: But he would have been abusive. So what he knows from his father is like, oh, okay, he was this general who, uh, as his cousin tells him, you're starting to look a lot like him. Don't be like him. The opening scene has them seeing some pretty disgusting things when they were kids because it's him and his cousin played by uh, Hunter Schaefer, who was not in this movie enough. They Mm -hmm. did her dirty. Let me see if I pull it up over here. She's kind of got a thankless role
1: she she's got a thankless role to just basically be like the the, the sounding board for Cor <laughs> progression yeah
0: uh-huh but there are moments there again where like you're saying you need to like have read the book. Or really hone in on those specific moments to be like, okay, all this guy sees is bad things. So the moment he finds someone who he thinks is good, played by Rachel Zegler, any of that relationship falling apart is what leads to his destruction. But it's like, now we needed more time to marinate in that, especially when that's the whole point of the story. It's about a guy going down the bad, the bad path
1: yeah exactly and and for a lot of the film it's sort of like feel it, 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 there's not really a hint that that's c- going to come and it's especially weird like I, I saw this on opening night with a theater full of teenagers and seeing like an entire row of girls start to squee when they got to the scene where he and Rachel Zegler kiss mm-hmm. in the back of my mind knowing like this dude is going to become like a fascistic dictator by the end He's of the movie like yeah, it's it's, <laughs> right like it's just, it's just a little bit weird to kind of balance those two things to but I think it's it's cool. It's a cool idea to yeah. do that with one of these movies. I just don't yeah. know if it, it was entirely successful. And to to sort of swing back to uh, Josh's question about whether or not you need to see the other movies to understand uh, this stuff. You don't, as you mentioned, you don't need to. But I do think that like uh, they would help and help to deepen your understanding of the world. The same way that talking about you talking about uh, actually reading the book is like. There's all these elements that are just sort of like thinly alluded to or very briefly mentioned and then passed over. Like even just the idea of like the different districts having people who are from different backgrounds that was much more, uh, thoroughly explored in the original hunger games movies. Is kind of just like mentioned in passing in this movie. So, uh, it's it's things like that that make me wish like yeah maybe we did maybe we could have gotten the mini series treatment and it looks like it's making enough money that
0: like it might merit a sequel but like doesn't this book not have a sequel right now? It doesn't have a sequel and I also think thematically it shouldn't you know there's some bits to the ending that that uh, I'm making an LME for about how people are hoping for a different outcome for characters it, stuff is left ambiguous but I think the wants and desires that people have for more sequels goes against what the series is saying. Right. It goes against what these characters represents, the themes yeah. of the movie. I mean, that's, so that's the, the that's, internal conflict at
1: the heart of the Hunger Games, right? Like, I mean, give that, me more so of weird. this child-on-child child, child violence. Yeah,
0: y'all don't realize you sound like the Capitol, like you're saying. There are people <laughs> watching this movie, same thing for our screening, where they were like, yeah, I know he's about to be evil, but I can change him. And there's this whole concept <laughs> of like... I saw some, like, grown reviewers because, I, look, I don't hate the movie, but like you, I, I do agree. It's a fantastic story that could have been told better. Mm-hmm. But in that, it's interesting. We were mentioning this earlier with a, a, another review that we have coming up that this is a, a movie that has two people in a very abusive relationship, especially because of the, the way that they're going to go down. Because it's fictional, people can gravitate towards it and actually acknowledge that, you know, sympathizing with this guy who's going to be evil, like, that's a really good way to do it. And then you see them review Killers of the Far Moon or anything <laughs> else and they can't see it there. And it's just the irony in that is crazy. So I don't expect them to not also understand that, yeah, wanting more sequels and prequels and spinoffs and let's get a Haymitch one, which uh, kind of interesting. But all of these different takes on this series at, at a certain point becomes the exact same thing that it's uh, calling out, you know. Um, so, I don't know. I'm curious to see what they end up doing with the franchise because yeah. uh, in reading up, did you know the, the, the big six studios? It's, it's always been called uh, Warner Brothers, Sony. I can't name them off the top of my head, but most yeah. people know them. Disney. Paramount, Columbia. Lionsgate wasn't one of them. And mm-hmm. this is what put them on the map. This series is so massive for them. Between this and Saw, it's kind of the sequels that they do need. And I think that's why they were yeah. pushing this. They had this movie in the works before the book had even come out. So,
1: yeah, I mean, there's, if you, there's definitely gonna be a future. Lionsgate is an interesting studio because they do a lot of like not so high budget stuff, and then they've got yeah. like one or two franchises that they use to sort of like prop them up and facilitate their ability to make other movies. But yeah, yeah, yeah. like you mentioned, they they are not like one of those major major ones, so it, it is ah. cool that they have this hit on their hands, I guess. Um, you know, but that, that, all that being said, you know, uh, Josh in the comments is asking if you feel the length. And personally, I, I felt like I it, I did feel the length. It felt longer than Killers of the Flower Moon to me, at two, even though it's <laughs> an hour shorter, two and a half hours. Different type um, of filmmaking as well. Yeah, different type of filmmaking. Um, but it's – it's uh, which I think comes back to my main issue with it in that, like, it both felt too long and not long enough, right? Like, it, it's – you're overstuffing your movie if I feel like two and a half hours wasn't enough time to get into all the things that you're sort of alluding to and trying to get there. And I think part of it for me, at least is like, what's interesting is a lot of the films, I guess maybe, maybe not a lot of the films, but uh, at least the first couple, it's like centered on the hunger games. And there's a lot of this one that is centered on the hunger games too, but that's not really the main thrust of the movie. The main thrust of the movie is what's happening outside of the hunger games.
0: Yeah. I, I would argue, having seen them, that uh, this definitely has the least Hunger Games out of all of them, Yeah, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Like you're saying, I think that's what's bringing people in. Um, the first one has a, a big buildup before they get there. Oh, shouldn't, they, shouldn't they be on here? What's going on? I'm going to go to Francis Lawrence, since he directed most of them. He is there the same go. guy who had done Catching Fire and The Jays. He didn't do the first Hunger Games, but uh, he did continue working on... Uh, uh, witcher Jennifer lawrence and red sparrow I, I'd, I'd google it and make sure that they weren't uh, related because they're both lawrence but right uh, i still think like i'm saying with catching fire you have a whole hour and a half movie i was reading roger ebert's review to the first one and he did a really great breakdown on how it, it focuses on the hunger games to the point that like we're saying it may be ironic because it's not getting into the themes the politics of what makes this thing tick catching fire I think he passed bro before he got to see this I think he would have loved this the first 90 minutes is that drama he wanted and then the moment they enter the arena in that IMAX ratio that I still Mm -hmm. remember seeing to this day that like that's a whole 30 minutes in the games the next ones end up being uh, just the revolution (laughs) spoiler i guess but it's for the older movies you know the hunger games end up becoming the world it it no longer is the arena but the earth is the arena itself um so for this one being the prequel it's kind of like building up what the hunger games are going to be because it's not even um this big dome that they fight in it's a coliseum Mm -hmm. they're kid gladiators fighting each other to the point that it's almost a little more brutal while not being as bloody because they're still wearing their street clothes, they're still out there fighting to to a point where you're like, "Yo, this really is just the the most barbaric way to to get the the Pan Am Panem uh, people to to unite together after a war, which is to have this annual um, competition where right. the kids are fighting each other in the districts to teach them a lesson. Or if you're the dictator in this movie, you learn something completely different by the end of it. <laughs> Um, I know you were saying, oh, one of the other questions I think Magnitude had mentioned.
1: Yeah, what do we think about Tom Blythe and whether or not he'll be able to launch a successful career after this film? Uh, uh, Brady compared him to Jacob Elordi in terms of somebody who could potentially compete over the same roles. They're both like in that teen heartthrob, uh, like demographic, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. I have a Uh, different take. Yeah, What's your take?
0: This this is who he reminds me of. And I was thinking about it the whole movie. I'm like, is this who I think it is? Is this somebody else? I think he's a good actor. I see he's like barely starting off. He's got some roles under his belt. Mm -hmm. But then there's a series on Hulu that we're watching and our boy pops up. And I swear he looks like Harris Dickinson. He does look a little
1: like Harris Dickinson. Yeah. Right?
0: Now, Harris Dickinson, I think, is going to be the one who's stealing all of his roles. (laughs) Because he's just a little bit of a better actor.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't say that Tom Blythe, like, blew me away or anything with his performance here. I, I'm, I don't, like, dislike his performance at all. I, hey, I, I just, man. like, I, I don't, I would need, to, you know, the same way that, like, Jacob Alordi didn't really, like, take me by surprise or whatever in the kissing booth. It took, like, seeing him in stuff like Priscilla and the Sweet East and, stuff, and Saltburn to yeah. uh, cement him as an actor that I'm interested in. I think I need to see um, some more benedictions before I can say the same about Tom Blythe. Uh, what about the other actors in the film? Like, obviously, this film co-stars Rachel Zegler, who's kind of been tapped as, like, one of the next big young starlets, and she she is doing a semi-successful Southern accent in this movie. It's a nah, little clunky. Nah,
0: bro. Nah, bro. All right, let's talk about this, because I know it's yeah. so massive for her online. I've been saying, like, she's going through her own, her own Hunger Games on tour. Uh, yeah. I know she had filmed Snow White before this. She... Funny enough, was not going to do this movie because she was like, "I don't want to do back-to-back music-based things." You, you had mentioned it earlier. She's dating Josh, who she met on the on set on West Side Story. On West Side Story, yeah. So that's that's Jason. She's not dating Jason Schwartzman. She is <laughs> dating Josh, who, um, you know, they had this whole viral moment of them like sharing a letter on set. I'm sorry. It sounds fake to me. It sounds like part of the viral marketing for it. But, you know, I like this guy. I think Rachel's mass- massively talented. The only reason she took it was because she wanted a break after Snow White. Then they cast her boyfriend. And then she called him up and she said, actually, get me back on this movie. I think she's gotten better in her acting. I think uh, she is a theater actress. And you and I know the difference between going from stage to the screen. The camera's going to be way on you. And because of that... Um, she she's she emotes a lot. Yeah. I liked her in Shazam because it was more of a comedy role. I thought she was really funny there. I thought it really fit in West Side Story. I I thought her acting was pushing it a little bit. I do not like her accents in this movie. I'm I'm gonna give yeah. her the praise first. <laughs> Separate the art from the artist when it comes to singing. This girl mm-hmm. has lungs. There are moments in this movie where they don't even want to give her dialogue. They just let her sing. Maybe even too much. Parts of this is like a musical. Um, she kills every single song. There is a, a moment later on. Because she's singing them all live, where she has this one that she dedicates to snow. She hits the snow with his name, dude. It was impeccable. Mm-hmm. But you're lying to me if you're telling me that that country accent didn't make you laugh, bro. I've been yeah, hearing it, so many people laugh about it. It just feels
1: very put on. I don't even know if I, I necessarily think it sounds like, in, like, not accurate. It just feels like a, like a like accessory. theater kid doing right? a performance. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, like a lot of her choices are very big. She her reactions are very very big, and I don't know if that always serves the purpose of those scenes. Like she it just adds to what feels like some of the clunkier elements to this, but that doesn't make me think she wasn't good in the movie. Just maybe like not as good as she could be. And I still, I still like her. I still think she's a dynamic and interesting performer. Like when she's on screen, I'm paying more attention. So I think there's Mm -hmm. certainly a quality to that, that like it should be recognized, but yeah, it's, I I would say that I I thought her performance in my side story was better and that the, the singing feels more of a piece. Okay. Uh, at least in West Side Story, because there's a couple times where it's like everybody quiet down. Lucy I'm Gray has something to sing. <laughs> she has to
0: sing, right? It's, re- <laughs> it's pretty funny, bro. It just it literally just turns into a musical. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think her acting is getting better. I know that there's a lot of behind the scenes with uh, you know she's she's getting the troll treatments as well. Yeah, which um, is so dumb. I, I do think she's massively talented. I think there's there's gonna come a point where uh, her acting's only gonna get better. And if the her her music gets better, I mean. She's going to be unstoppable at that point. Um, but when compared to, uh, like we were saying, in the older movies, like if you go back to Mockingjay, bro, you have Julianne Moore in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Like Man, she has the, some my, delivery. The final Philip Seymour Hoffman performance? Bro, and that's, that's what I was coming in here to say, Philip Seymour Hoffman has a line at the end of uh, one of these movies. I think it's Catching Fire when he goes... You are the Mockingjay and you were the symbol of the resistance. Dude, it is such a line read after a week when we've been hearing, and my mother met him at the Amazon where she got <laughs> bit by a spider. This man killed what should have been a terrible delivery of a line. And I'm like, wow, that's mm-hmm. how you can make YA movies so good? These movies would have flopped if they didn't have Philip Seymour Hoffman, Julianne Moore, whole Boogie Nights uh, reunion right there. Right. Jeffrey freaking Wright. Yeah. Mahershala Ali is a side character. Let's see if, where, where wherever he is put up over here. All the way like, at the bottom, dude. Like, like 12th build. <laughs> you know? And then let, let's keep it a buck. Donald Sutherland. Like, yeah. uh, our, our guy has a big thing. I don't know why not let me pull it up. But, you know, Donald Sutherland. He, uh, he plays the original Snow. So, obviously, he's got a lot to uh, live up to when he's doing this performance as a young Snow. Because his take on it was insane. His take on it had so much... Uh, Honestly, now, Angst, there's a whole vendetta that it, that he seeks out when he's uh, running uh, the Capitol. She's got a line where she goes, you sh- you sh- Don't go out in the rain. She goes, I don't melt like sugar. <laughs> 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 I pray she gets there. She will yeah, get there. She will. Because no one can cut into a song, like you said, as awkwardly and be like, how did we get into the music? Okay, well, it's good. She's got that power in music. One day she's going to have that power in acting.
1: Yeah. Um, how about the uh, adult performers? Was there any that stood out to you in, in uh, Ballad of Songbirds
0: and Snakes? Adult performers? Uh, Peter Dinklage is pretty decent in the movie because he's pretty much just playing um, the guy who's very uh, torn that he created the Hunger Games by accident. Yeah. Um, he's good. He, he's fine. Yeah, he's kind too of playing... Much.
1: He's kind of playing like season six Tyrion.
0: Yes, right. He just wants yeah, to tell like, a story, and with a like story, Like drunk
1: and a little <laughs> bit like self-loathing the whole
0: yeah. time. Yeah, um, but I will say that Viola Davis was good in the movie because she's so over the top. She yeah, she gets said to, to that chew that she the, the came scenery in, right the scenery. She's chomping the scenery, bro. She's yeah. coming in saying so much over-the-top stuff. She's got, like, two different colored eyes, and that was her choice. She's playing this, like, crazy villain. And personally, I think she is the one manipulating everything in the movie, if mm-hmm. you pay close attention. You don't cast someone like Viola without giving her, again, if you remember Plutarch, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, a little bit more meat in the background. Mm-hmm. But I think you and I agree, bro. Let's talk about it. This man deserves a spinoff. He he's was the boy in this movie. He's, he's incredible. There's, there's these <laughs> featurettes with him because technically, uh, do you remember Stanley Tucci in the original? Yeah. He's like the announcer? Right. This is he's like the... is like, I don't know, uncle, grandpa. He's related to him in some way. He's the first person in the series who's like announcing the the things for the Hunger Games. They do these uh they did these uh, uh featurettes where he's like doing uh promos for it that are not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Bro, he mops <laughs> he's mopping in these TV he's just spots. So much Some of the actors in this, yeah, he's he such was, a fun performer. He was great. Um, yeah, j- shout out Jason Schwartzman. He was fantastic in that. But having an uh,
1: incredible year too with uh, Spider Verse, with Asteroid City, and now this.
0: Yeah, you know he's knocking it out of the park. But overall, I, I I think it's a really good story. It could have been told better if it had more time because it's in that dilemma where it is too long. But also cuts every scene too short, and that's what makes it feel yeah. like it's dragging out a bit. Um, for the fans, I think it's going to be a, a really big Thanksgiving movie because at this point, it's only Wish that they're competing with. Um, I think this is going to do really good numbers at the box office, and we'll see what the future holds for it. But um, I would recommend it as a junior price.
1: Nice. Yeah, I think I'd recommend it as well, although it's, you know, like a. It might be something you can save for streaming, but it's not the worst time at the movie theater. I'd, I'd still recommend it.
0: So well, let us know your thoughts down below on The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Moving on to the next one that we have over here. Disney has a new movie. And it is the, the, the prequel to every movie that they've ever made. <laughs> Wish comes from uh, one of the directors who did Frozen. But it is written by not just the director-writer of Frozen. Like, it is the Don. The woman who is running everything over at Disney right now, Jennifer Lee, I think she's the, what is it, COO? She, she's the big boss at this point. Um, she has been talking about making a movie like this for the longest time that is pretty much the origin story to the star that everybody wishes upon. The intro that we see in the every single Disney movie that goes right over the castle, this is supposed to be that story um, told from the perspective of a character named Magnifico played by, uh, I thought pretty well, um, Chris Pine, who... Finds the magic to be able to make wishes come true. So he creates this town called Rosas where people move in and they immigrate and they settle. And he takes your wish, but he gets to decide is your wish worthy? Is it, is it going to be good for the country? You don't even remember what your wish is once you give it to him. And it isn't until this young girl who's about to turn, uh, I think, 18 and wants to be an apprentice realizes that maybe this town uh, isn't everything that people wished it would be. What do you think of Disney's new movie?
1: You know, unfortunately, I kind of feel like uh, this is sort of every Disney movie got put into a blender until it sort of became tasteless. It's, you know, like Disney's version of Meal Fit for a King from Succession. It's just sort of kind of a bunch of elements of other better Disney movies kind of slapped together here. And, and part of it is in the way that the film is sort of layered with references to other Disney uh, elements. Like, yes, this is an origin story for the wishing star, which who I don't know if we ever really needed a story for the wishing star. There's a um, bucket list. But but it's also, you know, full of these like shout outs to Peter Pan and she's got seven friends and, you know, one of them is grumpy and another and is sleepy. sleepy. And it, it, it there's like a, a brief moment with Bambi and it's like, I don't know, it, it just sort of feels a little bit too much like they're trying to play the hits and not doing their own original thing. Like she's uh, particularly... Uh, the Ariana DeBose character, Asha, just sort of feels like devoid of a personality. She's just kind of like the insert role. And and I don't know. Um, I was just, I never really felt swept up in the magic. I never really felt taken away. Um, I think it gets better as it goes along, particularly... Uh-huh. Uh, once they introduce some of the cuter characters and once they introduce the wishing star. But there's a whole like half hour of this movie that I think like most kids would probably find boring. It's pretty like, it's told pretty straight. There's a couple like not great songs in it. The second song in particular between Chris Pine and Ariana DeBose where they're talking about like- You like it? Not at all, dude. It felt like something that was written for, uh, for something else and then just thrown into this movie because they had a spot for it. I I don't know. Um, I was really kind of disappointed uh, with how little there was to to enjoy about
0: Wish. I think the story is fantastic. I think it's incredible. The story is a really good take on this idea of what happens when you give all of your wishes and your dreams and everything to a politician. Mm. And then realizing that you should be coming together as a community to be able to make your dreams come true because these wishes are practically dreams damn do I wish it was told better that's the problem with it there's so much in this story that is fantastic and yeah like you were were saying I I I don't want to say she's devoid of character but there are moments where she's like I'm feeling trauma and I will run into the forest and turn into song and I'm like okay that's kind of goofy I didn't think the the music was terrible but I don't think it's the most memorable. I I, I see right now that they're mentioning Dollar Tree, Lee Manuel. There are moments where I was like, what is it with the staccato type of like announcing, singing the thing? It is very
1: much like listens to the Hamilton soundtrack once kind of Uh, to me. Yeah.
0: And if you're going to do Lee Manuel, just get Lee Manuel. Manuel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, dude. I I definitely think Encanto's a a much better version of, uh, you know this take of a community yeah that's and supposed to bond so together so much
1: fuller of of character and personality than this one yeah is.
0: but again i i do think it's a it's a good story where everybody kind of forgets what their motivation is in life because they've kind of let somebody else figure it out for them that's yeah. beautiful but then like you said if it's not not fully fleshed out characters it's a bunch of these uh homages to other things like thumper appears at a certain point Mm -hmm. Uh, you have bears from old classic movies when he's dealing with like the dreams he's shouting out other films and you realize like yo this is really just a massive origin story and having just covered um catching or not catching fire the uh, the new hunger games movie ballad of uh, songbirds snakes yeah that's a movie that's taking things that katniss did like the bow and now Mm -hmm. saying actually another character did it now we knew that the song was passed down but it's kind of like we're doing all these movies that are going, actually this is the origin, origin, origin story <laughs> right. of that. And and like I don't I don't know how much of that is um gonna be profound. We we always have these themes throughout the years where every uh, single director was giving you, you know, their Belfast, their um fablements about how they came to be. And now it feels like the franchises are doing that themselves. Here is how this came to be, here is how air came to be, Blackberry, mm-hmm. and even the What whole can we Disney turn into intellectual
1: property? Yeah.
0: And that's where I think it gets really interesting. Without getting into spoilers, I really do think that this is Disney trying to make their own form of like a Pixar theory where everything is connected. And you get to a point where we were reading up how, you know, the mouse is up at the end of 2023.
1: Okay, so I saw Jenny Nicholson uh, theorize this on Twitter. And I I guess you came to a similar conclusion that uh, the Mickey Mouse uh, copyright protection is apparently like set to expire very soon. In a, and a reminder, in a couple months or a couple years, they were supposed something like that.
0: to finish that. In the seventies, they got another law. They were supposed yeah. to finish it in the nineties. They got lobbyists in the, there. It's the only reason done.
1: that the only reason that some American copyright laws are as extended as they are is because of the lobbying of the Disney Corporation. So, yeah. so it's yeah that that it took this long is already Disney's fault. But yeah, M- Mickey is probably going to enter the public domain uh, not uh-huh. too long from now. So there, it, Jenny Nicholson at least that part of the reason they wanted to turn that wishing star uh oh hold on my mic is messing up uh, i don't know if you can still hear me um, i got you part of the reason why uh jenny nicholson theorized that they wanted to turn the wishing star into a mascot is if they need to replace mickey mouse is kind of like the face of disney
0: that's crazy let me hit you with a bigger one and the art book for it Every single emotion that the star does is based off of a Mickey Mouse emotion from the early Yeah, dawns. it's literally Mickey Mouse's face. I don't know if that's a way to do a loophole for the copyright. So Wish really is just a movie that's trying to take advantage of that, trying to extend the copyright in some way. So, you know, at first the story's kind of like Shrek, where it's making fun of this guy who's picking dreams, which stories can be told, like Lord Farquaad. And then you have all these fairy tale beings that we know from all these other movies coming together to like defeat him. But it's like the inverse of of the whole message where they're not really doing it for originality. They're so unoriginal that it may actually be just doing it to extend that copyright, to be able to protect the patent. They don't realize that they didn't take down the villain in this movie. They're kind of just doing what the villain wanted in the film. Did you stay exactly. for the after credits?
1: I did stay for the after credits. What did you which... think?
0: Thumbs up, thumbs down.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it, on the... On the scale of, like, I'm glad I stayed versus why am I doing this for my, with my life? It's definitely closer to the latter. Uh-huh. Um,
0: <laughs> Isn't it crazy that the whole thing there was that that's supposed to be something that is based off of a wish that is supposed to change the world?
1: Uh, I don't know, man. Um, can we, we talk those? a little bit about the animation style in this movie? Because I, at, at least from yes. stills and from, like, maybe quick trailer clips, you might think, oh exciting disney's got a new hand-drawn animation movie out there uh but the longer you look at it the more you see the seams because this is not hand-drawn animation it is cg made to look like it's hand-drawn animation and honestly i found it to be pretty garish
0: bro i know it's supposed to be like a storybook come to life but like we just had the comic books come to life in spider-verse and they did it impeccably Yeah. This feels like those knockoff movies that you get at the dollar store that have this really weird animation where Mm -hmm. again, you like you're saying, it's 3D, but trying to look like 2D, trying to look like the books. All these movies that get made fun of in the animation bargain bin, this was Mm. somewhere in the middle where I didn't think that we could enter an uncanny valley for cartoons. Right? But it somehow gets there. It it, the movement is part of what
1: is wrong. Like there's a weird depth to it. Yes, if it's still it's good.
0: But the moment they start moving. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Right. And and it, the, I, I want to compare it to Arcane, the Netflix show, which like you know art, Arcane has a specific art style that I yeah. guess works for Arcane, but like it's matching the movement of something like that with the hand drawn look of the classic Disney cartoons, and then never really looks right in motion.
0: Yeah. Like I don't. It's. It's. I don't want to say it's bad, but it's weird. And maybe it's, it's because it's just something new that's been done. And I know there was a lot of uh, talk from animators going. Uh, They were very concerned about where it was going to fit in between the 3D rigs and with it being 2D. And, yeah, it's it's somewhere in the middle. So I'm very curious to see how people take that because the stills compared to, like, how Zach says, when it's in motion, it's a little jarring.
1: Totally. Um, And I I was dissing the songs earlier, but You're a Star is a good song.
0: I was about to say, bro. They're not terrible i like They're a lot of the homages terrible. you know uh yeah. that that's one thing that we're uh breaking down that we're gonna have over for let me explain is all the cool. different homages that are in there i mean it, it's it's literally just filled with easter eggs glory look at that candle right there you know what that candle is you already know mm-hmm. it beauty and the beast sack of course you see these blue balls <laughs> how right could there I not as the number so, one disney adult <laughs> like it really is that movie where whatever it's almost clever i hate how clever it is whatever you want it to be from your childhood yeah sure it's that bear from that one movie sure why not totally that tree yeah yeah why not um it is it is the most nostalgic baby movie of all time but I'm already ready to hear the backlash on where her character ends up in the movie because I do think it's kind of like the funniest thing in the world (laughs) they like they did the MCU thing where it's like oh you thought the Infinity Stones no the Eternals my man (laughs) there's always going to be something that precedes it and uh, wish I guess as of now until the next one until whatever made the star this is the thing (laughs) that is pretty much the beginning of the Disney Cinematic Universe
1: yeah, we'll see. Um, do Do you think it's still worth seeing in theaters though, or, or is it more of
0: a skip it? Well, I, I was able to take my whole family to go see it for the early yeah. screening. They all had a good time with it. I, I you know if you can get cheap tickets on Thanksgiving weekend to go see it, yeah, it's not it's not the worst thing out there. It's not going to be up there with the Frozen's or even Encanto. I, I I think it's a really good story. I just wish it was presented a little bit better. And for most people, yeah, once it's on Disney Plus. That's going to be the perfect way for most to watch it. But it is not the worst holiday movie to go see with a family because you're not taking your little kids to go see Hunger Games.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I honestly am a little bit – I would be a little bit concerned that some little kids would be bored by the first half hour at least until like some of the cute characters start to
0: show up. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, once it once it gets going, I think it is kind of, like, fun for the whole family. Maybe may mild fun for the whole yeah. family. Because I, I got it at two stars out of five right now. But, uh, okay. Yeah, you know, it'll be on Disney Plus probably not too long from now. You want to move there? To Rosas? I mean,
0: can I get my wishes granted? <laughs> well, you got UBW. It's a universal basic wishes. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts on Disney's new wish down below in the comment section. And which one you're looking forward to for everything they got on the slate. Or as yeah. it looks back at the, the 100 years, what your favorite Disney movie or character is. Totally. Next up, we have a banger of a movie, Zach. I'll, I'll let you take this one away because I know you Let's had the go. chance to catch it a little bit early. Uh, I definitely want to insert the things that I was showing you earlier, if I may, over mm-hmm. here. Uh, all of these different things that they're doing for Maestro as they're uh, pushing the rollout, especially because of the makeup. Um, so describe the movie, Zach, while I, while, while yeah. I give you the slideshow.
1: Okay, so Bradley Cooper returns to the director's chair for his second feature film, Maestro. It's a movie about the iconic American conductor-composer Leonard Bernstein and uh, the loves that inspired him to make his art, and the woman he married, actress Felicia uh, Montalegre. Maestro is a lyrical movie about complicated people in complicated relationships and also occasionally about the music of Leonard Bernstein. Sometimes, Uh, right? Yeah. So Art I'm curious what you thought of the film because uh I Like You was
0: really, really swept up by it. I thought it was beautiful. Um it is boring in the sense that uh it, it's a very long biopic that you take it, it takes its time to realize where it's going, like you're saying, I'm like, right. okay, we're gonna focus on the music and yeah. I, I think a lot of um not to say boredom but, but the, the the looseness of not knowing where the story is headed is what makes you go like not that you're losing interest, but you're 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 getting peaked at something and you're like, okay, it's not really about his relationships it, with yeah, his it's people. A, it, it's not the music. Okay, is it it's her? a
1: classic. I did not expect this kind of movie. And those yeah. movies sometimes can feel a little bit weird to sit through because you set your expectations for exactly. a music biopic and you end up getting something completely different than that.
0: So once you realize that it really is about their relationship, these two right here together. Oh, that's when it clicked in for me. I think you have yeah. some really incredible performances. I think you have... Um, uh, honestly, shout out to the makeup. I know that was a big thing and we're definitely going to get a little bit deeper into that, but yeah. um, the, the camera work that's done, the way that they were able to show these scenes, because a lot of it is done in that aspect ratio where it's uh, the, the Academy um, square box where most of it is is very tall. There are very few scenes where they go wide because the majority of it is in black and white when they're uh, early on. It does turn into color for a little bit. Dude, I thought there were sequences in this where he embodied that performance to a degree that I I find him goofy in interviews talking about how the spirit, mm-hmm. the spirit of Leonard who I've never met, is in me. I know that he sounds goofy as can be, telling the kids of Leonard Bernstein I almost miss your dad more than you do. But dude, there's that church scene where I felt he was possessed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that church scene is like just riveting, and like I honestly, I put on the trailer this morning just sort of to get ready for our discussion, and and almost came to tears just remembering how that scene made me feel. It is so cinematic, and and the music is so uh, just like really takes you on this journey, and especially going through this movie with him, you kind of it's this emotional climax for the film too. I, I was. Uh, really, really uh, swept up by it. You know, you mentioned how the film is shot. It's shot by Matthew Libatique, who's got a pretty wild IMDb. He's been Darren Aronofsky's go-to guy since Pi. He got an Oscar nomination for Black Swan. He's also done several films with Spike Lee, like Inside Man and Chirac. Uh, did very commercial stuff, like Straight Outta Compton, Iron Man, Venom. Oh, uh, yeah!
0: This guy's a because uh, he had to, yeah. Don't worry, Darling. He damn near directed *Dory
1: Darling. <laughs> exactly, but uh, more recently, he did uh, uh, got an Oscar nomination for a Star is Born, the last Bradley Cooper movie. Um, And I think this is some of the best work he's ever done, frankly. There are those sweeping shots from overhead on the characters as they sort of move from room to room, which are just incredible. Uh, He's got these like big, wide frames, like especially uh, of Bernstein's family life at home or uh, him conducting. (laughs) And it's just, it's gorgeous and it's painterly. Uh, Yeah, I, I think it's one of the best shot films of the year.
0: Uh, I don't even know like what machinery he was using. Like you said, when he's got these over-the-top sets where there's no roof. So there'll be like in in one scene and all all of a sudden he enters like what's supposed to be the performance or they'll be on a date and she'll be like, you just want to move on to the next scene. We don't need to be here. We're adults. (laughs) And they will literally just go to a a completely other place without it ever cutting. It was honestly, it was magical. And when you get swept up into those elements of the movie, when you realize that it really is all about their relationship, I think that's where it really uh, falls into play. Let's talk yeah. about the controversy really quick because I know a lot of people have been mentioning a lot of this and I know you have some opinions on this. So I'm going to ask you just straight up. She's not Chilean. How did you feel? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. Um,
1: she, th- I think lots of, th- there's lots of actors who don't, aren't perfectly embodying the, the performers that they are. And I, I don't know. Uh, it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the film for sure. Um, Ain't it
0: funny, though, that no one's mentioned that? It's all about his nose? <laughs> yeah, a lot
1: of people want to like to talk about the nose. And the nose, I think, was noticeable in, like, two scenes in black and white early in the film. And then I completely forgot about it. Um, two things. Yeah.
0: Judging the makeup, what did you think? Was it ever distracting? Because I only had, like, uh, one or two scenes where you can yeah, kind of see what a little I... bit of the folds. But you got to shout out that makeup.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's really, like it's convincing for a lot of it. Um, And like I said, there's only a couple moments where I even noticed it, but yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't look like strange at all. And it does kind of, you know, Bradley Cooper is such a familiar face. So it does kind of give his face a slightly different quality. And I can imagine also for him as an actor, it helps him sort of feel like he's disappearing into
0: the role. So he's also very prolific. He's got a very specific look that he's had his entire life.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it didn't. It didn't bother me, even you know, controversy or or not. Yeah.
0: Performance-wise, I also do think that uh, not only does it help with the performance, but he has a stature to himself. It's the way that he walks around. And he always talks like he just took the like very he nasal take quality a, to his a leg voice, with yeah. A D or something, yeah. yeah. And the way he just like he plays with his mouth, it sits in a different way. The way that Leonard's did. I think it's a really good performance. I, I see yeah. some people asking in the chat if it's his or Carrie's best. No. No. But it's a part of the collection that's going to be their fantastic careers. Um, yeah, I
1: think it'd, it'd probably make the Bradley Cooper or the Carey Mulligan Hall of Fame, but I don't know if I'd put it number oh one. Oh, yeah, get
0: to mention in the montage, for
1: sure. Yeah, um, yeah. It's also... Uh, um, a wackier movie than I think most people might expect from Whimsical, it because, like, yeah, yeah, like there's a lot of marital me- melodrama. But Bernstein, as you were talking about, he's kind of got this like groovy, motor mouth, Lothario let- quality to him. Like, it's it's okay, baby, it's all right, yeah. you know. Like, uh, and, and is it Cooper... edited in
0: that way? It's yeah, almost and... edited where we think it's going to be like this biopic, but in reality, it's just like there's this beautiful scene where he says, "On the when I'm about to perform," and he goes in the downstroke. He blanks mm-hmm. out until applause. And I'm yeah. like, wait, wait, let me take the scene and look at the editing. He will literally go from one thing to another, like we were mentioning, because that's just how he remembers things. When the, the flow of the movie just goes from piece to piece to piece, it's because, like you're saying, he's this groovy dude. And this is his retelling of his life almost. I thought, right, I thought right. it was very effective.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, Cooper plays him pretty broadly, and some of the line readings are uh, are kind of hilarious. There's this sequence where he and Mulligan are having a tense argument, and the backdrop of the scene is such a silly choice,
0: but it works so well. That balloon Um, stole the scene. I don't want to spoil it. That balloon stole
1: the scene. There's also a really incredibly goofy music cue later on that I don't want to spoil uh, that's happening while Bernstein's driving a car. <laughs> did, did you mm. find Maestro kind of funny or did those parts not work as well for you?
0: It is 100% funny. This Hilarious, is a man yeah. who, again, getting into the relationship um, – This is the story about how their love and their push and pull and, you know, what it's like to be in the limelight uh, became a central factor. I was very surprised with uh, supporting performance because I did not know that she was in here. But I guess she is in the trailer. Sarah Sarah Silverman Silverman plays his sister and is like the, not the anchor, but almost the the person who lets her know, like, being in his orbit takes a lot. If you're Mm -hmm. going to be with my brother, just know, like... He's always finding muses, you know, and this is a guy who has scenes where he tells two characters, uh, he says something to the baby. You remember that? I don't want to spoil what the line is, but he's just like, yes, I have known your parents pretty well is how I'll put it. That's funny. There are a lot of funny moments in the movie. I mean, it begins with him slapping a butt when he gets yeah. the call to come in like Tom Brady. The only reason this guy made it was because or, I don't say only, but it, yeah. it was that really big lucky break because the, the conductor was supposed to do it was sick with no rehearsal. The man came in and killed it. I think all of that adds to what the movie is trying to say and what it's going for in its telling of uh, these two. Um, And I thought it worked very well. I do think it was very funny. And I think that's what leads to some of the most emotional beats.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot that's really interesting about it. You know, obviously a lot of biopics that are about great musicians are music first and their personal lives are second in a way that almost makes the elements of the personal life feel like they're not given their full due. So Mm -hmm. this sort of does the opposite in that Uh, This is really the movie about the man and the man that he was to his wife and the man that he was to his kids and to his friends and to his lovers. And it's in the moments where we, we depart from the personal life, we see glimpses of his professional life and that that's one thing that I'll say like maybe against it although like I, I don't like to knock films for not doing the things that the filmmakers didn't intend but Preach. like I don't feel like you're gonna go into this movie and f- get a great understanding of like Leonard Bernstein's career or here were the yeah. highlights of his life musically or this is the the piece of art that he made that makes everybody remember him but you are going to get a sense of his spirit like you were saying of his soul a- and the things that made him Tick and the things that made him uh, excited and about art, and I think there's something really wonderful in that as well. Particularly in uh, how Cooper portrays it. You know, like uh, we 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 were at TIFF, and there's so many movies at TIFF this year that are films from uh, directed by actors, and you see a lot of them, and they just don't have the authorial eye that yeah. b- Bradley Cooper has. He he is so intentional and so uh so clever in how he crafts his movies like they are they're very cinematic and they're they're very like powerful and moving in a way that I just think you know it's a special class of filmmaker so uh, you know even though he's only too deep into the career, I think we can already put him on that that level with some of the guys that we get really excited talking about on this show.
0: I am excited to see this uh span out. To see this whole filmography uh, just grow. I think it's gonna be really good. Um, Are you excited to see him do a movie where he's also not in front of the camera? Yeah, I mean, like. That will be where we really. uh, The thing is, though.
1: The thing is that, like, it is kind of fascinating to see how he directs himself because he's good at directing himself. A lot of a lot of actors aren't always like able to do both things simultaneously. Yeah. But like, I think he's a phenomenal performer in in A Star is Born and he's giving a phenomenal performance in this, too. So I don't know if I need to see a movie without him,
0: but I would be I would be first in line for it, sure. I need to. If we're talking about directors, yeah, I, I need to. I need to a little bit. A little He'll bit. He'll grow into it. He'll do um, it at some point yeah. for sure. Uh, because like you're saying, with his direction, this who was clean too, also in the scene it was like silky black. Um, there are several moments where he does a really good job at having scripted moments. Like it's a very like snappy, like you you were telling me yeah. when you had first seen the movie with who their dialogue. Between Snoopy
1: the in the vestibule?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But then it feels very organic in the sense like there's this one scene where he's laying down with Carrie uh, Mulligan's character with his wife, yeah. and while they're talking, they have this whole back and forth, and it's not cutting. But then he gets like ashes on him, and he goes, "Oh, he like adlibs that I get ashes on me." And like yes. she says, "No," but it's there, and I'm like, "Ooh, it, it like it makes it feel free." There's there's a sequence later when he's like helping somebody conduct, and he like is about to give him another clue another cue but then he begins and he goes oh never mind and he doesn't cut the scene because it's a one take there are so many moments like that there there's the, the moment I just the feel church, lived in right they feel lived in there's a moment of the church scene where yes. uh they oh, so freaking good when they like finally they, they have this hug him and carrie and they say something they've been holding in their chest for a long time right and mm-hmm. he's getting sweat all over her <laughs> it's like they had one take, or they were gonna lose it, dude. They put it all on the line. I, I think it's yeah. a really, really good movie. And if um, you don't know anything about Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein, if, if you're not really curious to see uh, the take on this, maybe wait for it on Netflix. But if you are, I think it's shot beautifully and is a story that is worth seeing on the big screen. Uh, if you know it's a Netflix movie, if you have it available near you, there are some shots, especially that church scene when he's conducting the the orchestra, that is worth watching.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I I think that's the thing is like, uh, you you say like whether or not you're interested in in Leonard Bernstein. I don't think you necessarily even need to be that interested in him because this is really a a movie about artistry and a movie about relationships and like what it's like to be in a relationship with mm-hmm. as you mentioned somebody who's constantly chasing his muses and uh, you know th- there's also like a bisexual panic element to the movie that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I think there's just a lot to recommend about it that is outside of the realm of what normally gets bi- music biopics recommended
0: true i think a star is born whether you knew about the original or not a little bit but there's something like you were mentioning uh thanks to his uh symphonies or or compositions that he's made um i think the more you know about it the better but i i didn't realize the outside perspective of being a composer and then being a um, conductor are completely different to the point that one is seen as child's play and the other one is like the real art there's mm. that scene with his with his dad that i thought was like pretty profound i was like oh day like this is a guy who has to balance like fun and then like oh no this is the serious stuff and to him they were the same level field i do agree with you there uh just the artistry of how it's approached i thought was really interesting um my final take on it though would be is that it's definitely a relationship movie and uh once it really clicks that he is this maestro who is like embodying everything that everybody has to move around his orbit but that in reality, she's the maestro to him. That's when I was like, all right, Bradley, I see what you were going mm-hmm. for here. The, so. the
1: line of dialogue that recurs in the <sighs> film, it
0: just, it's great. It's really good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious to know people's thoughts on it. It is out on Netflix December 20th. Damn, it's pretty late. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be in some theaters. It's supposed to be rolling out at the beginning of December yeah so, I mean I
1: know it's at least playing in New York and LA and I, I see that it's expanding to uh, DC on December 1st so maybe you'll get okay. it in in Chicago around the same time but uh, yeah. I, I know I'm going to be in Florida then and I'm looking it up oh. not getting it until December 8th oh, I'm going to have to find yeah. some some weird ass theater in Florida to see this hey, movie in. And...
0: but wait, but when you come back dude or when we see each other again I got you with yeah. the maestro we're not voters but we still were able to get some of the merch right there and that beautiful line go. I think I just ended with that A work of art does not answer questions, it provokes them. And its essential meaning is in the tension between the contradictory answers. And I think that's what he got down in Maestro.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A beautiful movie.
0: Maybe something that's not quite as beautiful
1: (laughs) is what we're going to talk about next, though. You know
0: what? (laughs) Tell me about Thanksgiving, because I did not think you'd actually go out to the theater to see it. (laughs) I'm being honest. I mean, look, it's the new film from Eli
1: Roth. And uh, Eli Roth has got a reputation as being kind of like one of the... uh, Pre- preeminent voices in horror working right now? I don't know. It's, it's weird because whi- while his resume doesn't exactly have like a lot of horror classics on it, he's still kind of got like the reputation for being in that top tier of horror directors. Um, yeah. I don't know if you were a big Hostel fan or a big Knock Knock fan. I'm not particularly a fan of any <laughs> of these films, which is why I think you thought I was going to skip Thanksgiving. Um, but I think I think this is my new favorite Eli Roth movie not that that's saying like a whole lot yeah
0: um yeah why not I agree with you yeah. right it's like he doesn't have hits like that to be considered Eli Roth presents but I think it's that <laughs> that he's been presenting that he's has that shutter series where he goes through all of um all of the different uh, uh horror decades um that I think people really associate him with his love of horror more than anything this is decent it's it's dumb it's very stupid but it's also bloody in a way that uh i think made it enjoyable with some themes that are like obviously hitting uh you over the head with them with it being thanksgiving yeah. and all this capitalistic thing of, yeah yeah friday black friday now being on a thursday but because it doesn't take itself too seriously i thought it was pretty fun
1: yeah i mean like the the characters are cardboard thin like they're not particularly interesting as people or it's like or, they're or tiktokers like, yeah uh, but like what you come to a movie like this for is the the scares and the the kills right like this is a slasher yeah. movie and it's got to have an interesting deaths in order to, you know, merit its existence. And I think he like delivers in that department, at least there's, there's a final destination esque style of creativity to how some of these deaths are executed. Like there's one particularly brutal one that happens in the middle of a parade, which um, if you've seen the movie, I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about Mm -hmm. the whole opening sequence too, which takes place during like a black Friday stampede of sorts, kind of, it's like plays on, what I think is kind of like a relatable anxiety about crowds. You know, obviously there's like the whole tragic Travis Scott situation from a couple years ago that comes to mind when you see uh, Stampede things like this. So it's like, it's, it's playing off of some like real interesting anxieties. But as you mentioned, it just kind of handles it in a very like goofy, not taking itself so seriously way that perhaps undercuts some of the drama, but allows it to be a laughable, fun kind of horror time. And, you know, I I think for the most part, it worked at least on on those terms.
0: Yeah, uh, I remember we got to see uh, the one at AMC in New York together, Smile. And uh, this is definitely one of those movies where (laughs) for whatever reason, the dudes will be yelling more than the girls that they take to the movies. So this was uh, my experience in the film, where uh, people were laughing at the dudes who were getting scared by the jump scares more than their partners that they were bringing in. Um, so it's definitely a crowd pleaser in that sense. I I, I think the 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 killer mask of it being um,
1: John Carver. Or John whatever.
0: Carver is interesting. It's a it's a cool take on it. He you know has this, yeah, act, they, but he also uses a lot of different things as well.
1: They kind of were able to make it a Halloween movie while not setting it Halloween. Bro, fr- that you that know?
0: opening shot was literally actually from Halloween.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's um, got a lot of those elements to it.
0: Yeah. I don't know about you. I guessed it from the start.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's not particularly, like, surprising, especially, yeah. like, you, you know, you do a little bit of celebrity math and it makes it a lot easier, similar to the most recent Scream movie. Um, yeah. But, like, our... I don't know, does that. How much does that lessen your enjoyment of a movie like this one? Because it's not exactly like gonna blow your mind either way.
0: No, I, I, the main thing that I went through was for the kills, and I agree with you. I, I think the creativity that they have, especially when he starts dealing with ones like, uh, he's putting people in ovens, which I find really interesting. And, yeah.
1: Uh, speaking about relatable fears, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there's like, the you see this nasty one in the trailer as well, where someone's uh, uh, skin gets peeled off because they're mm-hmm. like being pushed up against things.
1: Lots of skin getting peeled off in this movie.
0: You know, the one that actually got me was the organs, bro. I, this is set in Boston, mm. but it damn near could have been in Wisconsin with the amount of bratwurst- <laughs> looking intestines Ugh. that kept popping out, bro. There's one moment where he chops a woman in half and then yeah. puts her on top of the the, the right Mart, <laughs> giving a like meaning a, to half off. There's like, like a
1: whole kielbasa coming out of her, yeah.
0: Nasty. Yeah. Honestly, bro, it <laughs> looked like literally they were about to have a barbecue, so yeah. uh, shout out to the, to the prosthetics, to the, all of the effects that they had going on there. Obviously, the acting could use some work, but that's not what people are going in for this movie, and yeah. overall, the gun on Eli Roth. Also, I will throw this out,
1: hmm. Addison Ray didn't stand out, positively or negatively she was just kind of part of the ensemble did not really affect my enjoyment of this movie positively or negatively
0: playing herself I
1: she's she's a teenager
0: and that's all the movie really asked her to be yeah you know Tim Dillon (laughs)
1: um no I mean I I, I've seen his I've seen him pop up on Netflix but no I've never listened
0: this man (laughs) playing a security guard was the most out of pocket thing I was not expecting it (laughs) They should have had him be funny, bro. I don't know what, what was going on there, but him him uh, getting trampled there and uh, his later on scene uh, were goofy. Uh, I'll just put it yeah. that way. But overall, Thanksgiving coming out on Thanksgiving. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, we're in that week where they release the stuff right before the holidays. So next Friday, there's not really going to be much. It's going to be Hunger Games. It's going to be this. I mean, we have a whole cornucopia, a whole Thanksgiving plate of, of stuff that you can see, be it your kids killing themselves or... The horror where they're killing themselves or <laughs> what's the next one that we have? Wish, which is uh, Disney unkilling itself. All of these there things go. are going to be out there for you all to watch. So let us know down below what you're watching this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, let's wrap up with the uh, streaming stuff that we have here or stuff that should have been yeah. streaming. Uh, tell me about <laughs> the Please Don't Destroy sketch that they're pretending is a feature film.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of the feelings of uh, a Please Don't Destroy sketch because it's packed with the kind of like smash cut joke on top of a joke on top of a joke style humor that they've uh, somewhat popularized through their appearances on Saturday Night Live. Uh, But here it's extended over the course of a feature length film uh, that stars the the boys as childhood friends who grow up and decide to undertake uh, a potentially... uh, what what's the word uh moneta big money adventure i'm trying to think of the word but whatever mm-hmm. um it, look there's it, it's a a movie with like 2000 jokes in it and probably 500 Two of them are like joke <laughs> i mean it's got it's got a, it's so so many jokes and not all of them will hit but i thought i thought a lot of them were pretty funny i mean there are certain sequences where it just sort of feels like like they're building on the chaos. Like there's a uh-huh. a throat punching moment where it just feels like they they're going to the tenth degree, similar to like the uh, mm, what you say SNL sketch from a long time ago. Uh okay. Where it just it it just you know doubles, triples, quadruples down. Yeah, it's not all of it is gonna feel like the the most hilarious or innovative comedy, and a lot of it is. Uh, built on the same premises of them kind of being these weird losers and uh, that, that you might feel like is familiar from their other stuff. But honestly, I had a good time with this one. I think not only are the three boys funny, but there's lots of very other very funny people who show up between uh, Meg Stalter, Conan O'Brien, Bowen Yang, all entertained me. I, I had a good time with it. Like this has been a pretty stacked year with comedy. So I don't know if I'd say like it's even one of the five funniest movies I saw this year, but
0: yeah. it might be in the top 10. Okay. All right. Uh, I've only seen half of it because I started editing my Hunger Games video. So I was watching it over dinner for the <laughs> first weren't hour. And
1: <laughs> you, you uh,
0: weren't
1: You weren't there for that?
0: Uh, it is a lot of like setup for and the zinger. Yeah. <laughs> zinger and zinger. And I think that works a lot better in their comedy sketches where you got mm-hmm. a like a five, 10 minute bit to do. Uh, I think it wears itself a little bit in a feature film. So I, this was supposed to be in theaters at, at one point, no?
1: I don't know. I mean, maybe it is produced by Judd Apatow.
0: If it was, it found its home at Peacock. I think that is definitely the better place. Yeah, it's a Peacock for it to movie, be. for sure. Yeah. And for that, look, I have to finish it, of course, but there were a lot of funny jokes. I'm not going to deny that. But damn, I don't like the missus feeling like, oh, that was really awkward because there's no laugh track, you know? They are mm-hmm. also used to the SNL live audience filling in a little bit of dead space. And that dead space was not in my uh, living room. I did see it on Saturday night like on Saturday night though. <laughs> oh there you go. so fitting. So there was that but uh, do you think they're up there with the Lonely Island? you think they're competing with that because you you had made a, I... you had made a, a, a reference with the what you say and I think that Lonely Island was always able to get like, I don't know, another aspect of the humor that wasn't yeah. just the punchline.
1: I think there's a reason that whenever some like new comedy group comes up, people say like, "Oh, are they sort of the new Lonely Island or whatever?" Like, the like Lonely Island sort of set a standard that is very hard to match or, or compete with. I think, if anything, maybe I'd call them the new workaholics, because they're maybe a little more hey, on that level. Okay,
0: good. Yeah. And even then, I would still put the workaholic boys just a little bit above. They come off a little super bad light in this movie. Yeah. You know, I know can what else they come off? Like? You know what else they come off like? Like, Trolls Band Together, which I know you <laughs> couldn't find your tickets for because they were sold out all yeah, over the world. Um, yeah, it's so hard to see it. There is a bit in uh, Please Don't Destroy is uh, the treasure of Foggy Mountain playing on peacock where they need to harmonize together. Mm-hmm. And I swear, I'm like, I just saw this movie with Trolls in theaters <laughs> where brothers need to come together after being split apart in order to be able to harmonize and have this unity that will free them from whatever they need and get their treasures back. Um, yeah, uh, this is the new Trolls movie. It's out in theaters. It is vulgar as can be. I don't know if you've caught any of the previous Trolls movies. The uh, last one shook up theaters uh, right before COVID because it decided to be VOD. Made so much money and it scared theaters that they were never going to come back. That was the the first domino. They they put this in the back of the theater, (laughs) brother. We're not giving this. At least for me. I think AMC (laughs) still has a vendetta against them for what they did. Um, It is just as bad and it's just as good as all the other ones. Um, But Mm -hmm. I, I just... The idea that, that they had a whole rollout with this being the return of Sync," the first song in 15 years, 20 years, whatever they were pushing. And then a little book came out that ruined all of that. <laughs> Nothing is funnier than the sag strike ending. And Universal still being, yeah, boy, you're going to sit this one out. You are not going to yep. go answer questions. <laughs> <laughs> did did any
1: of those kind of nostalgic elements of it, because they are sort of like, it, it is kind of a callback to Sync, and they're referencing a lot of boy uh, bands and yeah. stuff that you and I grew up with. Did any of that work for you, or is it all just kind of desperate uh, and, and not dude, funny? have you
0: heard the jokes in this from the trailers at all?
1: I, I, I We've talked about that One Direction pun line. One yeah, Direction, sure.
0: now we're in the back streets. They yeah. have... An even boys worse one that they've saved from the marketing at the end. <laughs> it's so bad. I almost had to be like, you know, I don't even know how you got Manulo in there. <laughs> Sh- or, Props? <laughs> I, don't even, it's not, I don't even know what to give it. Yeah, but they did maybe, it.
1: Yeah, maybe it would have been better if they had somebody other than Troy Sivan delivering the line too.
0: You know how long it took me as well to realize <laughs> that like, yo, the NSYNC boys aren't even playing these people. It is made up of Eric Andre. David Diggs, Troy Sivan, and Kid Cudi, who are the brothers. And I was under the impression, for some reason, that it was the in sync, Right, like, that would have made so much more sense. Yeah, I could tell it was Eric Andre right away, and and Alina's like, I don't think that's, is that the, is that the Joey? I'm like, no, it is completely different (laughs) Lance Bass's voice really changed, huh? Yeah, they only really appear for, like, a short segment that really is a cameo, where they're just going through, like, their songs. Uh, Yeah. look. There's a reason why this made a lot of money during the pandemic on VOD because this is a kids movie through and through. A lot of inappropriate jokes there, bro. Um, uh, Cal? No, is it is it Keenan? Keenan? Yeah, Keenan plays th- this little guy. He yeah. uh, he hits this uh, ring pop. Let's call it a rock. And he's always like, "You want to hit this?" Throughout the entire movie, bro. <laughs> then they hit that in Drive, and I'm like, "Who is this movie for?" <laughs> there's so much glitter. There's so much vomit up on the screen. That yeah. uh, it really is just kids bops. Mm. Like, it's just a it's great Kids bop the it's, movie? It's pitch yeah. perfect. It's Anna Kendrick's in this. It's pitch perfect animated. Uh, yeah. And they just, like, they will literally just TikTok the songs. They'll play the segment you know and then jump to the next one. So, um, we uh, had like two drinks before this movie and it still didn't fully prepare us. But if you are mm. ready for this, uh, drop off your kids while you go watch another movie or just wait for this one to be out on VOD because this is one of those tough ones where. There's a lot of cringe in the movie, but uh, it's not worse than the other ones. Okay. There you go. Not um, sure if that's good or bad. Take it as you will. But I, I, yeah. I do want to know about this one because I saw one episode of this. And then you told me, but did you finish the episode? And then I realized I did not finish the episode. <laughs> the Scott pilgrim takes off the new series on Netflix that is retelling the story? Yeah, so...
1: It- it, I don't want to get too heavy into spoilers because, like, you look at the marketing for this, sh- this show, the new animated Netflix version of Scott Pilgrim, and it kind of looks like, oh, they are doing the the comics or even the movie, but in an animated version and yeah. extending it, and that that's cool. Like, this is a fun world. It's been a- adapted for several mediums, including video games now, and uh, people are really passionate about it. I really enjoy it. I didn't mind rewatching watching really? it. Um, and then you watch most of the first episode and it does feel like, yeah, they're, they are redoing the movie, but kind of in a slightly different format and it's, it's enjoyable and fine, but, without getting, again, too heavy into spoilers, it kind of becomes clear by the end of the first episode that they are are going on a different path and they're doing something that's going to kind of dive a bit deeper and, and switch switch the elements up a bit. And I thought it was really interesting, particularly if you are a fan of Scott Pilgrim, because it, it really explores a lot of the interesting nuances of the world that only get mentioned in brief. Like, for example, like there's the whole uh, way that Scott ends up Finding out about Ramona is like he has a dream that she's in and she says that she uh, took a a Sonic or like a super speed highway through his brain or something like that. And okay. it's something that because of the uh, the style of the movie and the comic book, it kind of can be just a sort of passing anecdote. But, like, this is a show that we'll explore. Like, well, what is that? And why was she using it? And who, who are all these interesting characters? And what do they do when we're not hanging out with mm. Scott and them at the same time? So it goes a lot deeper into all these people uh, than the any of the previous Scott Pilgrim properties before it. And I think it ends up being kind of reinventing it in a really fun way. Um so okay. what I thought was kind of going to be just like a a retread and just another iteration of a thing I'm very familiar with has found some kind of novel element to it. It's it's a little bit slower than I think like the action past quick cut reg- Edgar Wright feeling than maybe some people uh will be expecting especially yeah. given that it's it's anime like it is layered
0: with jokes but it's also not it's not like hyperactive. Um, yeah, but, I noticed that with the animation that it was like, <clears throat> if you're reading the book, you're going at your own pace. But here it's like they got to fit in all the dialogue in one frame before they move right. on to like the next action.
1: Yeah, it's it's got this sort of like intentional pace to it too. But it, yeah. like I think it kind of ends up working. Like you fall into okay. a rhythm with it. And I don't know. I found it really enjoyable. Um, obviously, like it's got... Uh, all the same actors who are in the movie returning to be in the voice cast here, which is pretty exciting too. Like just getting to have, especially because a lot of them aren't particularly big parts of this. So you'll just get like a quick two lines of dialogue from Aubrey Plaza and then she's gone from the episode. Um, But yeah, nothing that I would complain about for sure.
0: I did notice uh, one line early, which I don't think is from the comic or even the movie that comes from Scott Pilgrim when he's talking to Ramona in that scene about, uh, Watching something that's got the same voice actor in both properties. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right, so I, I might have to de- dive deep into it. You know, I was, I was, I watched the first episode while working on stuff, and I was just like, okay, you know, I'll save this for like December. You know, see what take they took on it. But you're telling me it's almost like a director's cut fleshing out the world. So that actually, kind of, yeah. All right. I mean, look, if, that's if cool. you're if you're skeptical about it, give it that
1: first episode. Maybe give it a second episode because the ending of the first episode is such like a definitive like we are not the Scott Pilgrim, you know, and are familiar with that. It, it kind of got me re-excited about the show. So I'm, That's I'm halfway cool. through really enjoying it. I'm probably going to binge the rest of it
0: tonight. Oh, nice. All right. Uh, sounds great. So recommendation from Zach Aunt Scott Pilgrim takes off. Speaking of dating high schoolers. Middle schoolers? May, December is a new movie that's going to be out in limited release. Uh, We have a whole video coming out for this, but as you can see from the praise that Zach has given it and the praise that I have right there on screen, this is one of the best movies out there. If you have the ability to catch this over in limited, I believe it's coming out uh, for one week before it comes out on Netflix uh, December 1st. Keep this one on your radar. Uh, I don't know if you want to give a quick log line for this one, but we do have a whole, a whole after credits because because we gushed about it. Like, we ended that after credits like three times. There are three after credits to that review that we'll be coming out with. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's one of
1: those movies that, like, it just keeps growing in my estimation the more I think about it because there's so many interesting choices and characters and scenes and, and little moments that you can, like, read into a whole world of a whole other character. And uh, it's just rare that you get a film that's so willing to dive headfirst into this kind of territory and, and explore it in a way that has nuance and depth and complexity. I'm just... I really, really love this film, even if it's not necessarily the most, like, immediately rewarding experience. It's a movie that you can sit down and talk to somebody about for hours, in my opinion. So uh, I'd highly recommend it.
0: We almost got a whole hour there. So uh, keep an eye out for that. May, December, again, in theaters for about a week before it comes out on Netflix. but. That's pretty much all of the coverage that we have here because we are not going to be here next week. So we have a bunch of recordings, segments yes. here that we're going to be posting up as we come back in December, which is just going to be full throttle. Not only is there a lot of movies that are going to be coming out, but Zach's got interviews. We've got our top list for movies, TV, documentaries. So anything that we have missed, if you're an avid viewer and into cutie, let us know down below what we need to add on our watch list as we approach the final month of the year. Uh, and it's time to give a big shout out to the people who make all of this possible. Yes, thank you to our wonderful InterCutie patrons, the
1: people who help support the show to keep it going. Uh, we really appreciate all that you do for us. Uh, a th- shout-out to the Academy members who are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Tyler, and Benji. And then, of course, a big thanks to the producer-level Ooh. patrons, Yuden Veer and Toon. Uh huge, huge thanks For all of y'all, thanks again. You can sign up to become a member of the patrons by going to innercut or by going to patreon.com/innercutpod and you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to intercut episode outlines access to the private channels on the intercut discord uh an invitation to our monthly patron google meetings or over the course of the next week or two uh you're going to get access to a lot of episodes early cuz we recorded our May December video early we recorded our uh Saltburn review we recorded a whole bunch bunch of stuff um (laughs) and yeah and so if we're uh if you want to know what we're talking about on the podcast you can always head over to patreon you can it's free to follow us and get the uh weekly blog updates that i do about the show over there but for as little as one dollar a month you'll get access to a bunch of intercut content early so uh Pretty cool feature, I think. I don't know if you're enjoying the podcast. Why not support us for one dollar a month? It's Ooh. Thanksgiving, it's the
0: season of giving. Can't uh, you even get uh, an item at McDonald's for a dollar anymore. Exactly, you can get all this content fed to your brain. Yeah, there, there's no better deal
1: out there for uh, this type of movie content. So, support the show, head over to slash intercut pod and become an inner cutie for one buck a month. That's
0: yeah, beautiful. All right. We're on it. The picks for the week, starting off with the coming attractions. Zach, you had the chance to see this upcoming little movie by a, a little known director. Did. He's got no Oscars. But he's out there yelling at other people, kind of sounding like Napoleon, I guess, himself. Tell me how your screening of Napoleon went because I will be catching this one tomorrow in Dolby.
1: Yeah, oh, uh, Napoleon, the latest from Sir Ridley Scott. Put I some bet. respect on that oh. name. Uh, it It is... Reuniting him with Joaquin Phoenix, uh, interestingly enough, 20 20- nice. so years after Gladiator, 23 years after Gladiator, Jeez. which he uh got that an Oscar for uh, nomination for. Um, it's it's interesting because this is a you know uh historical retelling of like obviously one of the most iconic figures uh in world history, an epic uh emperor and conqueror and and uh warmonger who uh swept through Europe and claimed lots of territory and uh, was exiled and returned from exile and exiled once again. If you are looking for just sort of like a beat by beat retelling of some of the big moments and big battles in the life of Napoleon, I think there's going to be a lot to enjoy about this one because Ridley Scott is one of our best directors at sweeping big, action set pieces. The battles in this movie are some of the most gruesome, uh, you know, sword-based battles you'll see, sword and cannon-based battles that you'll see in these movies because there's just a lot of, like, really uh, brutal moments. But I think that, ultimately, I found it to be a bit thin, especially because at that three-hour uh runtime, or I guess two hours, 38 minutes, it, it kind of feels, to... it feels like you're getting a lot of, the same sort of beats over and over again. You know, the, the essential idea of this film is that Napoleon is this sort of stunted, emotionally immature child who is like, wants to feel like this great man, but ultimately gets sort of like belittled by, uh, by his inability to like feel like that in terms of his uh, home life with his wife, Josephine. And he's got this obsession with Josephine and that he's not the man he thinks he can be at home he he you know takes a lot of that out in the world and it's like the way that these like petulant dictators will sacrifice the lives of millions in favor of their own uh petty insecurities I can see like that. I don't know, it's it's interesting and it leads to some really incredible moments. To me, the film is at its best when it's not on the battlefield and when it does depict uh, Napoleon as this kind of pet- petulant, whiny little child. There is a, a line going around Twitter that uh, uh, Scott Menzel didn't like, but I thought was hilarious that this lamb chop was brought to me by Destiny. <laughs> or Destiny brought me this lamb chop, rather. Um, so there's lots of, lots of goofy things like that. Um, so I think Her, to me... What Kirby good? Yeah, I mean, look, th- it's well acted. Both of them are particular are pretty great in this film, and when they are able to be opposite each other, I think it's pretty dynamic, um, pretty dramatic, and occasionally like cheekily hilarious. But it's also a little bit like turgid and and repetitive and just kind of like cold. I I, I didn't I, I didn't think it necessarily did. It did as much as it could have with the breadth of its scope. So it's a mild recommendation from me. I don't know if you need to see it in theaters. It'll be on Apple. Cancel my tickets? (laughs) I mean, you should go see it, but I don't know if every every inner cutie needs to.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll I'll, I'll be coming back uh, in December to talk about this one. I I still want to be mildly excited, but at least you guys have leveled me out to not go in and expect a masterpiece like House of Gucci. Um, <laughs> we also have Wish coming out in theaters, as we discussed earlier on the podcast. Up on top, the newest movie that's going through Disney's entire origin story for all of the animations that they've ever made. Um, I think the story is really good. I think we both agree the execution isn't that great. Zach yeah. thinks they're the worst songs that Disney has ever released. because <laughs> just them. get li- Just get Lee Manuel, right? If you're going to do the Lee Manuel. Yeah. Um, Zach's very excited about this next one, though. Uh, Genie over on Peacock. Uh, Look, I
1: typically (laughs) defend Melissa McCarthy comedies because I think even though she has terrible taste, terrible taste in movies, Uh she's like a genuinely charming performer and and very sweet and very fun. Um, This one, it is uh, going straight to Peacock. It looks like more of the same. Uh, They sent me a screener, but it's embargoed. So you saw it? it. Yeah, I saw it don't really want to say my thoughts to break embargo, but I think Uh you can tell some things about my tone. So, I don't know. It's a Melissa McCarthy comedy. I think you're going to... I think it's mostly what you expect.
0: Okay. It comes from the people from Love Actually and Notting Hill, which are very old movies that they're still quoting on the poster. The Velveteen Rabbit... Also
1: comes from two guys who are talking bullshit on Twitter, but... yeah,
0: Uh, Velveteen Rabbit is a movie, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the the family section of what's going to be on Apple TV Plus with... um, who is it? Is it Hannah Waddingham? Is it? Oh yeah, Rosamund. I Pike? think so. No, it's Helena oh, Bonham Carter. Carter. Yeah. <laughs> I named like every single person possible. Do you know anything yeah. about this movie?
1: No, nothing about it actually. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I just know it's like the only movie they're releasing, literally this month uh and it'll be there as part of the family collection but i would recommend since most people already have netflix checking out leo instead because the boy continues to deliver adam sandler is playing this animated uh what is it i think it's an iguana a lizard whatever it is he's actually doing voice acting there's a lot of comedians in this movie once the credits rolled i was like that's that comedian like what i guess you can get people to not sound like Chris Pratt in everything they're in, Zach. Um, I recommend it. It's it's pretty cute. It's pretty funny. Nice. It's coming out literally tomorrow, so it's going to have that early release. Check it out. Leo on Netflix is not a bad family film to watch with the family. Another win for the Sandman. And his family. They're all in there. Bye Bye, Bye Barry. Tell me about this one. That's uh, This is the doc on... Uh, oh, yeah. Is it Barry Sanders? Barry Sanders. Yeah, All it's right. the
1: BarrySanders.com over on uh, Amazon Prime. Our buddy Mirjani caught it early, and he told me it's a pretty solid sports documentary, you know, obviously taking Prime's you through the highlights. One. Yeah, it's uh, taking you through the highlights of, like, the iconic running back's career and giving you a little bit of insight into his personal life. You know, we we are not immune to uh, watching a sports documentary and reliving the, the glory of the
0: icons of our youth, right? Yeah, there was a, I think it was Reggie. I want to say that's what it's called. The Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. I just, oh yeah, I was like looking this one up right here. Uh, Prime has a, uh, what's it called? They have a good track record in my book on making pretty good documentaries when it comes to sports people and I think it helps that they have, you know, (laughs) Thursday Night Football, I think it is. Yeah. To have that up there. So, uh, I give the thumbs up to Reggie. So, this is definitely a good pick to have there. Bye Bye Barry coming out. Uh, nice. And then talk about a movie we saw all the way at Sundance finally getting its theatrical limited release. But is also not just a documentary, one of the best documentaries of the year. It's an Oscar contender because it is yeah. a submission for its country.
1: Yeah. Is it uh, Estonia, I believe, is submitting the it is so. the best international feature for the Oscars this year? Smoke, Sauna, limited, Sisterhood. Yeah. January. In, yeah. It's a really limited release. Um, it's probably going to be... convention. Yeah, just to... yeah, just kind of make sure that it gets a qualifying run. Sure. So if you're in New York or L. A., maybe you can check it out. If not, just keep this one on your radar because I, I think it's a really powerful, interesting film. It's basically uh, this film that takes place in a in a smoke sauna, uh, and it's a bunch of women who get together and share personal stories and talk each other through their different issues. And it's also got this interesting perspective in the way that they shoot it. They kind of keep the women anonymous. It's not focusing on their faces. You don't see their mouths saying the words. You just hear them kind of in voiceover. And in this way, by sort of depersonalizing the the spoken words of the film, mm-hmm. they kind of make it feel a little bit more universal. So it's not like you're listening to this group of five or so women, but you're kind of listening to like women as a collective, right? That's, that's great. And I, I it, yeah. And it's just a really fascinating look at just like modern, uh, modern femininity and what it's like to travel through the world as a woman today. So I, I thought it was really powerful. I found it to be very moving, beautifully shot and just like a really interesting
0: Uh, piece of work so definitely keep it on your radar two thumbs up right there Uh, but beginning our picks for the week i am going with my watch list pick which is fargo Uh, they are on year five and i still have a lot of catching up to do but if there's one series now that i'm getting all my edits out and gonna take a, a little break for this thanksgiving weekend fargo Fargo has hit every single year that it's come out, and the cast that they get every single time is fantastic, so this is going to be coming out on Hulu on a weekly basis, if I'm not mistaken, so I'm excited to not just catch up on this new season, but go to the ones that I've been missing, because I I haven't seen the Chris Rock one, and I heard good things, so uh, Mm -hmm. I'm excited to just go on a Fargo binge, so that's my first pick. For the week,
1: yeah, and obviously there, it's an anthology show, so they switch up the cast and switch up the premise every year. So it's easy enough to hop right in if that's what you want to do. That might be what I do because I find myself every year being like, "Man, this is the year! I'll finally go back and watch (laughs) All of Fargo." And I haven't done that yet
0: should probably finish my last three episodes of The Sopranos first, but Mm. I will recommend instead Monster. It's in limited release right now, and I absolutely love this movie coming out of Toronto. Uh, It had also premiered at Cannes. This is a banger of a movie. Great performances. A fantastic script. But you got to be careful out there because people are spoiling something in order to give this a label that I understand, but... It's part of the narrative and go in as blind as you can is all I can say. This is an incredible movie from Corietta, someone who we've had on not just Picks of the Week, Picks of the Mm -hmm. Year. And this is another one of those. Monster in limited release.
1: Yeah, if you're a fan of films where they you know, kind of show you a situation, you sort of feel like you come to a conclusion, and then they show you some new information, and mm-hmm. you feel like everything that you've previously been told is suddenly in a new light, this Easily. is like one of those incredible uh, uses of that sort of Rashomonic structure.
0: Easily. Um, and then this next one is the one that we both got our two thumbs up for this peak's double pick. Take it away with Maestro. Maestro,
1: uh, the Bradley Cooper-led film about the life of Leonard Bernstein. We recommended it heartily earlier in this episode, so we don't need to get too deep into it now, but it's a music biopic that is not as interested in the music as it
0: is in the man, and I think it's better off for it. And his love, the love of his life. Gary yeah. Mulligan, very good. Very good uh, duo in there. Uh, tell me about this, bro, because as you can see back here, I made sure to have my good burger. Burger, Good Burger stand over here. I'm a big fan of the original Good Burger, but even I am a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical, Zach, when it comes to this new one. Tell me why you're so hopeful to put in your order for Good Burger 2 over on Paramount Plus.
1: Hey, listen, I haven't seen a trailer. I haven't seen a photo. I haven't seen a clip that you're showing me the poster. That's the first I've first. seen it. I'm I'm cl- closing my eyes and ears and just hoping against hope that this will be like a nice, hot a uh, slice of nostalgia that I can eat up uh, over the Thanksgiving know. holiday. I don't, I don't know, know, man. I, I don't know. I I like Keenan Thompson. I think Keenan is just like an incredibly charming, fun guy, and I've seen he's made me laugh in some pretty terrible comedies. Yeah. So maybe maybe he'll make me laugh a little bit here. I'm I'm kind of just like happy that Kel Mitchell is like alive because mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't didn't hear much from him for many years. Yeah. Look, that I'm just. Uh, Maybe this is more of just like me saying, I'm happy this movie is, exists for these two people than I am, like, this is going to be great, right?
0: You don't remember the SNL bit that they did? They already kind of brought them back? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember, but like, this is a movie. Kiki. It's different. Let's hope, man. Tell me about this one that everyone can catch because it's all on YouTube. Yeah, so Defunct Land, a uh, pretty. Wait, oh, put it on Little box. Well-
1: They got it on Letterboxd, too. Uh, It's a pretty well-known YouTube channel that does a lot of looking back at uh, different types of uh, closed Disney parks or old Disney material or closed theme parks. Uh, Generally generally focused on different topics associated uh, with Disney theme parks or theme parks in general and old media, nostalgic media. A lot of good stuff on the channel, a lot of great documentaries. Uh, Last night they put out a journey to the Epcot center And it's a really interesting experimental and kind of like symphonic retelling of the story. Uh, A lot of the channel's documentaries employ a lot of voiceover and explanations to fill in the history for you. And what they've attempted with this latest one is really to leave a lot of the the explanations to archival clips and archival sound and pictures of newspapers or other headlines. And uh, it's all sort of set to this really beautiful Score And animated in an incredibly compelling way. It's just like an artistic leap forward for the channel that I felt like was worth noting. I don't know if it's my favorite thing that the Funkland has ever produced because there is like, there are these moments of like kind of awkward expositional dialogue that I don't really like when documentaries do that kind of reenactment thing. But yeah. just about everything else blew me away in this video. It's easily the like most ambitious project that they've ever done, um, and I, you know, it's we we recommend so many things on this channel, and honestly, like this, it's a more ambitious and artful documentary than at least half of the stuff that I've recommended. So, it's even though it's only on YouTube, it's got it's totally worthy of your time. So, whether or not you're that interested in Epcot Center, too, I think it's just. So beautifully assembled that you should take some time out and watch it. It's an hour long.
0: Nice. Uh, I know their, their Disney Channel theme one was a big one from uh, that last was a great year, one, that yeah. a lot of people. Um, and I think they make some really good stuff. But with it being on Letterboxd, I got to ask you this because you, you kind of mm-hmm. made a mention of it there. They are fantastic documentaries on YouTube. It's Sundance and you're sitting down. Are you critiquing it the same way it being released in theaters? And not it being on the medium of YouTube. Um,
1: I mean, I think I would critique it maybe similarly. I, th- I think part of my part of my uh, excitement with this is to also see the growth of a filmmaker, right? Because like you, you like look here, at the dis- filming, yeah, exactly. Like you look at like the Disney uh, theme documentary, and as great as that is, like this is a- a certainly like. a a step up in terms of how it's approaching the material. So, you know, I I don't know if this is like, I'm not going to go ahead and say like, we should nominate defunct land for an Oscar (laughs) this year, but I think it's better than some documentaries that have been released theatrically this year, for sure.
0: For sure. I I agree. I know that's the big push that was for the Disney channel one. I think you got to cut the, the the shower scenes maybe and uh, fine tune a little (laughs) bit more, but the substance is there. That's for sure. So that's, I'm very curious now to see how he, They approached that one. Um, So running back with it, this week I am recommending Fargo coming out with Season 5. They're all anthology seasons, so you are able to start, honestly, I think wherever you want, if that's the case. Uh, Monster is in very limited release, but it's the new Corrietta movie. We always have his movies on our top list, so if you're able to seek it out, add it to your watch list. And then we're doubling it up with Maestro, the new one from Bradley Cooper that Zach also has on his top three.
1: Yeah, I, I'm definitely recommending Maestro as well. A really interesting and beautifully told, beautifully shot look at Leonard Bernstein's life. Uh, I'm recommending Good Burger too. I don't know if the movie is good, but man, I could just use a nice bit of nostalgia over the Thanksgiving holiday. Something
0: not serious,
1: exactly. And then uh, a recommendation. A recommendation from YouTube, the latest Defunctland documentary. An hour-long symphonic history of the journey to Epcot Center. A beautifully told uh, bit of documentary filmmaking.
0: Perfect. That's all for this week of Intercut. We're going to be coming back December 4th, but it's going to be like you you don't even you don't even going to miss us because we have so much yeah. content that's going to be coming out in between. So much content that we already have for coverage of movies that are coming out, the Next Go Wins, the uh, a bunch of festival picks. A lot of these that we had here are already on uh the channel through our uh, New York stuff, through our um I forgot where I was from, bro. Chicago Film Festival, <laughs> TIFF, all these different things. And if you can't remember where we covered something through these long streams we have a lot of the intercuts over here on the intercut uh intercuts channel where we uh put a lot of the little segments we're also taking a lot of the bigger bigger reviews that we have here posting them on the channel because we've noticed that a lot of the traffic ends up coming not so much from the live streams but really. The individual reviews that people find. And then we have people like LaShawn. Shout out LaShawn. Josh, who's been in the chat. Magnitude from earlier. Chase was here, too. Uh, All of the people who join us for these uh, live streams, we really appreciate it. It's been the bedrock over here as we come in every Monday. You can follow me over at LME Movies on all social medias. Zach, where where can people find more from you? You can find more from me
1: at Zshevich. uh, Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. Or you can check out my videos on YouTube or TikTok or even on uh, Instagram at Multiplex Show.
0: Perfect. You can follow every episode of the Intercut podcast on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. But you can listen to the live video here as we're showcasing you on YouTube.com every Monday where we go through all of the must-watch picks of the week. A big shout out to all the inner who listen live, all of the patrons, all of the iTunes listeners for leaving that five-star review. Don't forget to leave us a comment, drop a like, follow the socials over on Intercut Pod, and until next time, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe, or we'll volunteer you as tribute.